You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Okay, welcome to the Tone Benders. Your host today is uh, kind of me, Peter Albrechtson. I've got the whole Tone Benders team here with me, and we're here to celebrate the, well, not number 100, I guess this is number 102, and it's my honor from my seat here in Copenhagen to uh, be kind of the host and kind of like a chit-chatter to uh, talk us through this uh, episode of Tone Benders. So we got Tim, we got Renee, we got Teresa. Um, hello, everyone. Hey, Peter. Thank you very much for uh, taking part in this with us. This is awesome. <laughs> Hi, Peter. <laughs> hey, Peter. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> we really put you on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> no, something that I've really been enjoying about the podcast is that there's constantly new angles for how to work with sound. I mean, the different subject matters and so on. And I was thinking, like, how the three of you divide your work and how do you, how do you, I mean, when you've done like a hundred episodes of something, how do you keep it fresh and how do you kind of maintain the ambition of doing a special podcast for all of us sound design freaks? Well, you know, so this is Renee. Hey. Uh, um, I, I, I think we're lucky because there's, there's more than just one of us. And so we all have a lot of autonomy. So at any point, any of us can walk out and just record something and, and dump it into the feed. But we also, we also get together and collaborate a fair amount on what we think would be interesting. We have a whole Trello document of stuff that we could dive into at any point. You know, we're never going to run out of ideas. And on top of that, every so often, Tim will just shoot me an email and say, hey, I got this you know, industry luminary that agreed to an interview, so <laughs> be ready on Sunday or whatever. And uh, I just kind of sit back and watch those roll in, mostly. Yeah, we kind of have worked out a thing where I do most of the chasing of getting the guests, because uh, it's something that, for some reason, I enjoy. <laughs> uh, but at some point, we got on kind of the radar of film's PR people, and uh, PR people would contact us and say, do you want to interview this person? And when that first started happening, it was kind of exciting. Like it was kind of in its own weird way, a recognition of what we were doing. But we started doing interviews with things that we weren't necessarily interested in. And uh, we've kind of taken a step back from that now. And like now when we do an episode, it's because something we saw, a movie we saw, a TV show we saw, or an article we saw, sparked our interest, made us start thinking. And normally I think, oh, I want to know how they did that. And then I think, well, I'm going to contact that person and see if they'll come on the show and tell us how they did that, something along those lines. But yeah, in terms of keeping it fresh, I think that's the way we do it. It's just whatever sparks our personal interest, we hope sparks the interest of the listeners. And if it doesn't, well, it's our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the the thing that Tim's saying there about the PR companies and, and that stuff, it was neat. Like every Tim and I work in the same building, so... That's part of it is he and I just sit down and talk all the time. But, um, yeah, it was kind of neat to have people, like, uh, coming to us. But it really quickly became clear, like, oh, this is a machine and there's PR people who have an agenda and they go and find media outlets 
who want to get on board with their agenda. But I think around this year's Oscars, it really became clear to us. I was like, oh, we kind of get how we're fitting into this thing. And then we did a lot of interviews, a lot of great interviews, really glad that we got the chance to talk to those people. Some of them Tim had been chasing a long time and hadn't been able to make a connection to. Um, But then once that sort of flurry was over, I think we kind of have had some chats since then thinking like, how do we not be part of that machine necessarily? Because we're not a commercial enterprise, too. And that's sort of part of why I think we can do an episode about anything we really want. But during those, I mean, during that time, doing 100 episodes, that's a lot. Do you feel that the interest for or the focus on film sound has changed also in the industry? I mean, on the one hand, you know, um, Paula Fairfield's been been getting some really good, broad, mainstream articles. There was that Game of Thrones thing with the picture of the dragon, like screaming into the microphone with the with the deep interview of her, um, and that was for that was for a general audience. That was for a wider audience. Yeah, I think it was Vanity Fair. Like it was, yeah, uh, super mainstream. But you know, those those things have always been around to some degree. You know, even when we were kids, we would watch you know something on CBS with you know some Foley crew. You know, just kind of exposing the film sound element to people that don't understand it. So, you know, there's a level of it that's always there. I don't know what our particular role is in any of that. Um, the, the beautiful thing about the podcast format, though, is we can kind of do whatever we want. So, you know, Tim can go walk around in the snow and talk about designing sound, or, you know, I can go chase down an ice cream truck with my kiddo and just put it put it up there, and, uh, and, it's, and it's all good and it still works. Something that was interesting that I didn't realize when we were interviewing Shannon Mills in the, the episode about Avengers Endgame is he kind of introduced how he got into sound by talking about how he found out about sound by Ben Burt's work on Star Wars. And I think that Avengers Endgame and that series is the modern day Star Wars for kids who are now like 8, 9, 10. No doubt. So he's kind of become Ben Burt. Mm-hmm. They're finding out through all the articles that are being done on him. And I thought that was kind of a nice uh, full circle for him and kind of for the industry that it just keeps recycling. And there's obviously way more coverage if people want to find it now because of the internet and such like that. From your perspective, Peter, do you see the focus of kind of broader media, you know, showing more more that has to do with sound? I definitely feel there's more interest for our work, Yes. Of course, here in Europe, the film business is slightly different, but I really feel that during like the last 10 years or something, there's been like an enhanced focus on our work. And I mean, I'm I'm actually writing a, a column about film sound weekly in a daily paper here in Denmark. I don't do it all the time because I'm busy now and then, uh, but I'm trying to. And it's uh, I, that's a paper I grew up with. And I remember from when I was a kid that it was all about classical music reviews and now and then like every two weeks or three weeks there was one review of a hip-hop record and that's mm-hmm. kind of like the most adventurous thing they did. And nowadays, I mean, they have a weekly column on film sound. That's really interesting. And I feel that something that for me also is worth thinking about is also like kind of spreading our word to our colleagues and other people in the film sound business, but also like being able to spread the word to people who don't know about film sound, the the audience, and make them aware of what we do. And that can be pretty hard because I think a big quality about what we do is that in a way it's unexplainable. <laughs> it's It's a mystery. 
I mean, when I work and do and I cut sounds and I quite often I'm like, why is this working? It's a it's a magical mystery. And I really, really love that. I think that kind of enigmatic quality of sound where every one of us have their own kind of subjective opinion on sound. I mean, there's no objective truth about what a sound can mean. That's really, really interesting. But at the same time, that makes it really difficult to sometimes explain what what it is we are so focused on and describe it in more like human words to right. to someone who is not a part of the film sound business. How do you, when you approach your podcasts, how much do you think about should this episode be for mere mortals or should it be <laughs> for only the sound colleagues or how how do you how do you kind of balance that well i think when we started the podcast the idea i don't know if we necessarily articulated this at the time but the idea was that there used to be big sound studios where everybody worked in one building and there'd be like you know 15 different sound editors and sound mixers all in the same physical structure so when you had a mental block or you didn't know how to t- approach something you just kind of would walk across the hallway and ask somebody and you could uh, meld minds that way. Where now the industry is so splintered and so many people are working from home, you can't just walk across the hall as easily. And we thought maybe if we could get these conversations going, people could kind of virtually eavesdrop on them and uh, kind of get that through the podcast, what they're missing while they're all in their basements in dark rooms all day, all alone. I think it's freeing for us to approach any given episode thinking The people who are listening already know the basics. They are involved in sound creation in some way or another. So we don't explain in depth. We don't say, oh, could you like elaborate on what you mean by that? Uh, So it's kind of peer-to-peer approach. At the same time, I think we keep in mind that, and, and we've found out through a lot of feedback that top people in the industry are listening, which is scary for us in a way. And also there's beginners and students and people who want to get into it but don't really know how. So we keep in mind that we are talking, maybe talking to people who are just starting to learn and and explore at the same time as people have been doing it for 45 years. So I think we just try and keep that in mind when we're talking about subjects that get technically involved. Um, Yeah, I personally get really selfish on the technical stuff. You know what I mean? You know, when we had Gary Bourgeois on, I was trying to pick his brain. I I I was talking to him I guess in the same way that I would if we were privately alone in a room, like, hey, how are you approaching like the way you're panning stuff in Atmos, man? Because I need to know because it's coming to me, (laughs) you know? And And the feedback around that is always very strong. Like when we do very detailed, nitpicky stuff, people always write and say, oh, I loved that part. And there is something satisfying about doing that because it's like a conversation that is not available to a lot of people. I think it's also really interesting that it seems like in the film sound world or in the sound world, we have these kind of creative conversations where we really open up. And I like that it's becoming also more and more honest. I mean, I just like recently there was like a big Twitter thread about like, do you also envy some of your colleagues when they get a big job or something like that? And I mean... Talking about things like that, which is very, I mean, it's very personal. I think that really opens up as well for like having these special conversations, which I don't feel like, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like 
photographers are having those or picture editors are having those. It feels like there's something special in our sound community where we are able to have those kind of talks. It's very open-hearted in a way, and I really like that. I mean, like Mark also saying in the in your recent podcast, Mark McGinney saying that he feels insecure when playing back something. Well, I do too. <laughs> oh, yes, I do all the time. But that kind of insecurity, showing that, that's that's. I feel like that's a big, big step in our business, and it's a, a very important thing. I mean, do you feel the same as I? That it's something that's very much happening in sound, but maybe not in other parts of the business. I mean, it's it's difficult to speak for other parts of the business in which I'm, you know, we're not deeply immersed, right? Um, mm. I will say that you know some of my editor buddies in the in the sports network that I do a lot of work for, they're all on such islands that picture editors, you mean? Yeah, the picture editors. Yeah, um, and and they all just kind of sit in front of their avids and do their own work and they do it their own way and and they each kind of they don't really trade notes too much um, to the point to where I can tell exactly who cut what feature that came to me based on you know based on just kind of the layout and how sloppy or how neat it is and this and that <laughs> and um you know one of my one of my buddies decided he's going to start getting them together and teaching a class because <laughs> some of them are not working the software so well and that's that's kind of revolutionary at least in his workspace in other workspaces there's another company I, I work with a lot called Texas Crew and those guys are all on top of each other all the time there's there's a there's a supervisor that's on top of all of their edits and more than just making sure that their edits are good this person is on top of the way that they're editing and the way they're laying tracks out and and you know their whole process and methodology and and they're actually continuing the education of of doing the editing side on that inside that one company um you know, there's there's a I guess a broader need for editors to collaborate um, in some of those larger facilities. That's a that's a little different than a lot of us audio folks that can kind of be a, a, alone on an island a little more easily. I think. I think that there's something to say about sound. Again, as Renee said, I, I I'm not a picture editor or anything like that, so I can't say there was. But within sound, I feel like there isn't the cast system that there is in other things. Like, I don't feel like if you work in TV, you get looked down on by the film guys. Or if you work in game sound, the, the TV guys don't like you. Everybody knows how goddamn hard it is to make a living doing sound. It is not easy. And if you can make a living doing sound for games or film or TV or corporate videos, respect. Because we all know it's a select group of people that have managed to be able to do this. And I'm ecstatic for anyone else that's been able to make a go of it. It might be a new thing too, though, because it seems like a lot of the LA folks that we've spoken to have at least spoken about the mentality of people keeping all their tricks to themselves and keeping their, you know, keeping their libraries close to the vest. People talk a lot about that, but people, at least in the context of our podcast, never demonstrate that. Everyone that comes on is very uh, open and giving, and, and everyone that I've met in person is very open and giving with all their information. But they all have this story about how how you know how I'm not like those folks that hold everything so close to the vest. I never get into anyone's name and I never experience it, but it seems like it has to have existed at some point for everyone to at least have that in their psyche. It could be a generational thing. It could be. I mean, it's also like the whole kind of, I mean, the whole the way, the whole way that, that sound is now available online, like with all these personal sound libraries that you can buy. And I mean, like... When I went to film school 20 years ago, we had Hollywood Edge 1 to number 40, yep. <laughs> and that's about it. And there was no specialized sounds. And for me, that's been like a major kind of shift in 
how we perceive sound and how we use sound and how how much personality that each soundtrack has that we hear because it's kind of like 20 years ago I I watched Danish movies and it had the same three doors and the same two winds <laughs> and the I mean and now like you really feel there's a much more ambitious and wide range of sounds and the sonic vocabulary it's really um, opening up uh, and I feel like it's not because I mean I'm I really loved the American movies in the 70s I some of my favorite movies are from the 70s and they were made in mono and like probably had like five sounds all in all like playing on top of each other but it were the right five sounds but the way that things have developed now that the movie soundtracks become more and more personal i mean the sounds in themselves are more personal they have they are more unique they are more they have their own identity that kind of development i feel also really has changed how film sound is and i think that has also changed people's mentality uh, also in the big business of hollywood that suddenly like we're all we're all communicating with each other because we realize how met, how much great stuff we can get from each other so suddenly someone at skywalker is getting sounds from someone in poland or i record a boat for dunkirk or i mean stuff like that those things i mean 20 years ago it would have been unthinkable yeah the internet and helps with that too yeah yeah of course the internet but but that whole th- the, the i think there's a there's a change of aesthetics at the same time that sure. the 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 sound work generally like that has that has opened up the aesthetic and it's also opened up personalities i think people in the sound film sound are th- computer sound and so on like we're all thinking about sound in a more kind of limitless way i think that has a lot to do with technology 20 years ago if you wanted to compete with skywalker or la studios you needed a you know a hundred thousand dollars to get up and going where now you're like you're saying you can get library bespoke libraries for fairly inexpensive you can get your pro tools rig up and going uh, and you can feel confident that what you're doing in Copenhagen or I'm doing in Toronto or Renee's doing in LA can stack up against what's happening in other cities in the world and you don't start off feeling inferior. Renee's not in LA. I'm in, I'm in Texas. What did I say? You said LA. Oh, <laughs> I'm aware of where you lived. <laughs> I, I just want to throw this out here for the podcast uh, listeners, just because it's not obvious to everyone. Uh, I've never met Tim or Teresa in real life. <laughs> Yeah, we've only met on we've Skype. Basically. Only ever met on the Skype feed. Yeah. So we've That's been doing pretty amazing. This, yeah, we've been doing this since 2012, I think. So now, yeah, uh, seven years, and we've never met. At some point, I got to make it up north. No, it's turned into a thing. It's like we we can never meet. <laughs> Otherwise, the the spell is broken. <laughs> but hey, how about when you hit episode 200? I think we should make a big get together somewhere, like just a big event. Where we all kind of meet and go totally nerdy. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when they did their New York trip, I was I was sitting there at home just just green with envy that I could not go go join that because I I saw it coming and I knew who you were going to go talk to and um, yeah, it was a shame that I couldn't go crash that party. 
when we started doing tone benders, uh, we put out one or two episodes and we got an email from a listener who, uh, worked full time doing podcasts. And he said, listen, you guys are enabling the episodes as like number one, blah, blah, blah. You have to put zero, zero, one, because when you get to episode 100, <laughs> the whole number structure will be completely thrown off. And that seemed comical to me at the time. <laughs> like that was a ridiculous concept. And the fact that you guys are jokingly talking about 200 both excites me and exhausts me. <laughs> 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 we're lucky though we got a lot of help you know a lot of a lot of people kind of dive in and, and help us chop it up and and um that's something that a lot of other podcasters don't have the luxury of is a deep listening audience that can actually like raise their hand and be like yeah i can chop this up and they can do it competently you know that's true um, the technical hurdles that other podcasters have to overcome are uh they're our day jobs so it's not a big deal for us how do you juggle something like this with the day jobs that you all have and how i mean maybe you maybe you should make like a little kind of uh, say a few words about what you're actually doing like for every one of you and especially Teresa Teresa I've, I've, I don't think I ever heard really like your background and so on yeah, I mean, you know we just, didn't get just, an just a few words story from, from Teresa did we Ugh, this is the part of this conversation <laughs> I was not looking forward to episode 001 <laughs> was me and Tim's origin stories we need to hear Teresa's <laughs> yeah, I truthfully am very uncomfortable talking origin stories because I I'm not one of these people who are like was an eight year old with a tape recorder and like I know what I'm gonna do with my life and pursued that. I kind of fell into working in sound because my attempt to get proper university degree kind of fell apart. And at a certain point, I was I was asking myself, like, how, what am I going to do? And I had to look at my life and be like, what is the thing that I always go back to or what's um, – where is the joy in my life? And I had always had friends who were musicians. I had worked in college radio and I always kind of loved studio life. And I – kind of made a conscious decision. I was like, I I have to pursue that because I don't know what else I'm going to do. Uh, and I was living in a very small town and uh, there was a guy and he his name is Ian Osborne and he is the typical sound guy, like head to toe black, um, t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, like the fanny pack, the long hair, the cigarette, the tattoos. This is a live sound guy, right? Live yeah. sound guy, yeah. <laughs> but he was, he was also an just a really interesting person, and he had a very progressive mindset. And he had uh, decided if any woman comes to me and is like, hey, teach me a little bit about what you're doing, that's who I want to teach. So I went down to the bar where Ian works, and I was, we were introduced, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, just hang out with me. And he taught me how to do sound in all the different bars in town and tried to teach me what he knew, basically. And... Uh, I mean, I had other background in radio and stuff, but not a lot. But, you know, if it hadn't been for him saying, you are welcome, then I I would have done something else. I probably would have ended up doing something else. And from there, I eventually was like, I can't make a living doing this because the avenues were not opening up in music. And I wasn't really good at networking in that way. So I ended up going back to school for sound. And then I ended up uh, working in post-production that way um, because it seemed like a way to make a living and also be able to do sound work at the same time. And 
that's when I met Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Tim's actually been a good uh, friend to have along career-wise. We've known each other 20 years now, maybe. More and, so, I uh, think, yeah. 22 or 23, yeah. Tim has always pushed me and welcomed me into whatever project he's doing and has treated me like he values what I say. <laughs> and I don't know, that's just... Okay, uh, that makes me sound like such a great guy. The reason that I always <laughs> encourage Teresa to be involved in things is because she's really good and then in return makes me look good for recommending her. We're a good team, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Man, live sound is such a tough scene. When, when I was in school, like half of, half of my degree was life sound. And I just know for a fact that at no point would I ever be able to cut it in that world. It's such a different world. Yeah, I would get a heart attack. Like pretty much every time I should do a show, like I was like, oh, oh how to do this in a new venue. And I mean, that's something I love about doing sound for cinema is that I know that there's some qualities or like some standards that I just I follow those standards and then it sounds pretty much the same in every room like coming to a new venue and I mean who but but Teresa like I'm I'm just thinking like because what you also mentioned is also this whole thing about like being a, a, a woman in this world and I've I've I feel like um, this whole development where that, that's something I really loved about your your uh, your episode with with Paula and I mean, Nia Hansen. Yeah, yeah, Nia Hansen. Yeah, sorry that that you were getting. I mean this this female perspective, and it's I I really like how that is growing. I mean here in Denmark in the the latest class of film school for for sound. For the first time ever, there's more women than male students. So it's, mm. I mean, it's four, four female and two males. And it's, I mean, that's the first time ever that's happened. And um, in a way, I feel like there seems to be another openness coming up. And I've, I really feel that it's something we need. But it's also, I just feel it's so sad to hear these stories about like the the insecurity of being a, a woman in this business. I know it also from Ann Kroper, who's a friend of mine, and hearing some of her stories, it's like all this amazing work that she's done through the years, and a lot of that work has just been kind of put aside because no one really took her seriously. And it's uh, and and that's a development that I also really like, and I'm really happy that uh, on Tone Benders that you've, that it's not a big political statement now you also have a female host but it's yeah. i think it's really important i think it's it's that kind of development is super important to show how we can all do this it's all about listening and it's all about telling stories with sound i mean i think there were some kind of ideas like 20 years ago that it was mechanical work where it was a little bit like you had to know how to make make mechanical things work but i mean i really love the development that it's becoming uh, much more open for all of us yeah i just want to like tell you that i think it's really great that all three of you are also showing the film sound business how how we need variety and we need uh, different inputs from different people 
I, I think we are surprised at how many women are working because they're not mentioned as much. And I, I, I don't know. I think we've had a couple of occasions, too, where we've asked to interview women. And I think women are generally uh, – well, maybe not generally, but there's a general feeling of reticence about putting yourself out there um, on the internet. Uh, people don't want to be targeted by these uh, – Assholes. Assholes, yeah, <laughs> who kind of like make it their hobby to um, attack women online. So I think women are less willing to certainly be forthcoming uh, about their stories, but also just even be interviewed in general. And I think we had a conversation with April Tucker. I don't know if this made it to the podcast, but we were talking also about how like the women we know are just super busy. I. We've asked people to come and talk, and we like, oh, we would, you know, we would really like to have a, a woman's voice as part of this conversation. And a lot of time, the women's women are just like, I'm actually too busy to talk because they're sought after and they're good and they're putting a lot of work in, and they don't have time to do stuff like this because they have actual work to do. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons why there's less. Uh, fewer women's voices in stuff. But I, I, I really appreciate being able to work with Tim. And, and it, a lot of it comes from him. It's like he's making an effort to broaden the basis of people that we're talking to all the time. And it makes a difference. I, I really believe in the power of hearing and seeing people doing things as a way to give your own imagination permission to see yourself doing that, you know. And so by listening to more women talking about sound, it normalizes the concept that women are a part of that world, women are totally capable in that world, and that is true for people of different uh, types, you know. Yeah, it goes all the way. I mean, it's also like this thing about opening up for other cultures and uh, and seeing movies from other countries and hearing movies from other countries and i mean this whole thing about like the the versatility of our sound community um i really i really love how that's developing and i really really hope that that will just it'll just keep on developing that way i've i i've been doing this for like 20 years now and i'm still kind of like it feels like I'm I'm not able to say at all how things will develop in five years. I mean, how will how will our like working patterns be? How 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 can we communicate? How can we send back and forth sounds from around the world? Uh, what kind of recording devices do we suddenly have available and so on? I feel that this it's the the sound area during these. I mean, 20 years of just, like, developed and going crazy. And, I mean, it's mostly for the better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this whole thing about, like, the the possibilities that's out there and slowly finding out, okay, working with field recordists and suddenly, like, we're... I mean, I just uh, did a Brazilian film last year with where I used some sounds from a Norwegian field recordist called Jana Vindran. And um, she's like an expert in recording underwater sounds. I mean, fishes and like all kinds of life underwater. And it sounds really, really amazing. And it sounds that I would never be able to get hold of 
otherwise. I mean, I've, unless I, I specialized in that for 10 years or something, or 25 or 50 years. But I mean, this thing that there's the borders between, for example, field recording and sound design, and I mean, the different parts of our communities opening up. So I feel that there's a I mean, there's an interest in developing a language where we try out new things. And that's also why I'm thinking, okay, how, what is going to happen in five years and 10 years? And what kind of sounds will we be able to record? I really love that development. I think what's likely to happen is, is the world is going to continue to get smaller, right? Everyone will be able to collaborate better and better. I think at some point in the relatively near future, language translation automation will start to become super, super um, useful. And so I'll be able to speak to, you know, people that don't speak English or Spanish um, and, and communicate with them back and forth in real time. And so the world will continue to shrink and the, the technological tools will continue to get better, right? And so it's not far-fetched to think that there is a super, super high quality field recording set up just in your phone or maybe with your phone with just a straight little tiny microphone um, that is very, very like imminent, right? As far as being able to capture a bunch of sounds and being able to communicate with people quickly. So what that'll mean is that work ethic and aesthetic and the ability to collaborate with others will become the things that are the most valued and things like the gear that you own and the, and the address that you, that you live in and, and those things like that will become less valuable. Um, in the past, those things were the most valuable things. If you lived in in LA zip code, and you had $30,000 worth of gear, that was the price of entry. Uh, I think in five or 10 years, it'll be if you can work as hard as Dave Whitehead and Paula Fairfield, and have, you know, solid aesthetic, and know people that, you know, or, or at least uh, be comfortable communicating with people that can go get you the sounds that you can't personally go get, um, that will make you as an individual, even more valuable um, within your own job. That's my guess. Anyway, I think that's what's going to happen. That's really interesting. We just kind of spent some time patting ourselves on the back, talking about uh, the inclusivity of women in the sound community. The sound community, I feel, is not doing as well in terms of including different uh, ethnic ethnicities. I can never say that word. <laughs> But uh, we recently, when we put out the episode 100, I made a collage of all of the people that have been on the show before. And it is a really white collage. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like a, it's something that uh, I guess was really shocking to me because it was something that I hadn't really thought about. And uh, it's something that we have to start thinking about because it was, uh, it's, not, it's not a good look for the industry. Yeah, and it gets approached in the same way, right? You go proactively, find people that are outside of your unique circle that are representative of... Um, of other cultures and other, other races, ethnicities, um, you know, whatever, and go find them and go find their voices and, and uh, see what they got to say. Sorry for bringing it down there. <laughs> no, 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 but it's, it's, re it's really true, Tim. I think it's, uh, that's, that's kind of going to be the next step in a way, I hope. I'm uh, on a future project. I'm, I hired a Lebanese sound effects editor. And she already did some first sketches and it's like, it's some of the most inventive sound I've heard for quite a while. Uh, and it kind of, uh, it made me, uh, well, it made me think that maybe I should kind of up my game a little bit. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but this was for, uh, this is for a, a documentary about, uh, it's a war 
film taking place in Syria. And that's why I thought that she would be perfect for this, because she, she's living in Beirut, so she knows how um, how it is to live in a war. Her name is Rana 8. She also directed a film herself. She's, like, incredibly talented. And getting stuff from her, I mean, almost like getting working with another culture. Uh, I've... Uh, this is the first time that I really, I mean, I work with Heike Kossi in Finland and uh, at a German mixer, Lars Ginsel, and I've mixed in the US several times, but all of that is Western Europe. So working with someone from a like totally different culture, I mean, it's been like really mind-blowingly good <laughs> already. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I need to do more of this. Like, we need to make the world even smaller. Yeah. So, and this thing about that, that thinking about okay where do people come from and how does that work with the film i'm working on and and that kind of collaboration i think that's really interesting yeah yeah and representation representation really does matter i i had a i had an experience recently where i'm my family history is from mexico my dad was born in mexico and my mom was born in el paso and so you know i'm very kind of mexican american just kind of in Whenever you know, whenever Thanksgiving and <laughs> and Christmas rolls around, we, we're hitting piñatas, right? That's what we're doing. And um, <laughs> I didn't recognize the degree to which all of the kind of Latino film stars in America are not Mexican. Like Antonio Banderas is, uh, uh, I think he's Spanish. Um, yeah. And so you know, yeah. a lot of the, the the big film stars are either you know Puerto Rican or Spanish. Um, Salma Hayek's kind of the one big Mexican, right? And then Narcos came out on Netflix, uh, the second season that, that, that is about Mexico. And it, and it struck me how uniquely Mexican that particular show is and how the degree to which my whole life I'd gone through watching, watching even Latino people um, that were not Mexican and how different that was from what my own representation was in that one show. And to see that show done so well. And one of my buddies was in that Julio Cedillo is like the FBI guy. Um, and so, you know, him, him, you know, he's one of the most Mexican dudes I've ever met. <laughs> and so to see him in that and to see everyone else in that and to recognize a lot of the very specific Mexican things that were going on there. Um, it was uh, it was a super just bright, happy moment for me, even though it's a it's a dark show, just to watch it executed at that level with people that are representative of me. It, I, I didn't realize I was missing it. And and it became super clear about halfway through that I that I had been missing it. So now, you know, thanks to Netflix and and you know, um, and Amazon Prime and a lot of those other people that are, and those other companies that are distributing from from all over the world now, I can I can go find stuff now. I I kind of go look for it now. And so as we produce our own media, as we put our own stuff out there, you know, it's it's just a thing to keep in keep in our heads, right? Like we need we need some Indian folks up on here. We need some we need some Chinese folks up on here. Uh, we need some you know. Um, we need some other other cultures and other languages and other experiences in our podcast for sure. I I always become so happy like when I hear, for example, Mark Mangini has talked about uh, this Hungarian movie called Son of Saul, which is this World War II concentration camp movie, all told kind of very subjectively focused on one person. You almost don't see what's really happening around him, but you hear it all. And it's like, it's a devastating soundtrack. It's like mind-blowingly good. And then they, the, the, 
where the sound team of First Man also talked about that film, that that was a big inspiration for them. And it's, I mean, that kind of thing where, like, a film from Hungary can suddenly, like, inspire people from Hollywood. I mean, that kind of uh, thing is just, like, really, really interesting. And it's, uh, I mean, because it's also, then it's no longer about language. You don't need to understand the words that someone is saying to understand the emotions of that. And I feel that's a big thing for sound is that we have so much focus on understanding the meaning of a word, but actually the emotions of the language can be much stronger. And I work on a lot of movies where I don't understand the language. And I start listening to the language in another way. I start listening to it almost as a piece of music where I listen for tonalities and I mean, emotions and tones and and textures of the voice. And I can say, okay, I, th- I don't think this line is played well, but I don't understand what they're saying, but I can kind of, I can tell if something feels honest. And uh, I feel that that kind of development, if that could also come from the streaming services, like suddenly being able to having films and, and, and uh, images and sounds from all over the world then then we're really making a a move in the right direction mm-hmm. and i think it's there's so much inspiration out there to get from other cultures that we weren't aware of before another angle to take on that is um looking at sound kind of beyond just film sound right and looking at other sonic and sound design disciplines so for example you know theatrical sound short form stuff like um, movie trailers, uh, TV commercials. There's a lot of deep, heavy, intense, high, high level sound design stuff that happens in, in those venues and in those formats that um, I think we still have a lot of exploring to do there as well. And and for me personally, that that relates a lot more to my day-to-day than the high-end film stuff does. Um, you know, I, I'm just my day-to-day work is a lot more short format than it is long format. It's It's pretty broad-based, but you know, the uh, the work all informs each other, right? So as you get really really good at short form stuff, then that influences your long form stuff. And as you as you do certain things with your with your workflow and your long form stuff, then that makes you more efficient on your short on your short form stuff. And um, you know, the the different representation within our podcast also of of the other sonic and sound design disciplines and mixing disciplines, I think, um, is something that I'm personally going to look to uh, to go find as well. Um, but I also like the idea of like um, exploring things outside of the entertainment and media worlds. Your Twitter feed, Peter, is great for introducing cool projects that are going on outside of um, entertainment and filmmaking and stuff like that. Uh, most recently, that um, Guardian three-part series about the um, sonic health of the oceans I don't know. I'm, I really gravitate towards those kinds of ideas and, and scientists doing work related to sound. And I, I always am thinking about, okay, how, how can we talk about that in the context of our podcast in a way that is relevant to the people who are listening and uh, that isn't just about how can I use this in my sound design, but also talking about it in a, in a greater scope of like what is – you know, how are we as human beings relating to sound? Um, it's hard to do pieces on those topics. It takes a lot of 
journalistic work, I think. And we're not journalists, and I don't think we've actually been able to embark on anything like that yet. We did the one episode about with the scientist who sent the microphone down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Yeah. And uh, recorded what it sounds like at the deepest point of the ocean, something no one had ever heard before. And before we started rolling on that interview, I think it was just me on that interview, I tried to explain to him what we were doing, and he is he is not buying it. He was just like, no, I, I'm a scientist. I don't care what you're doing with sound in movies. That, that has no relevance to me. And the, <laughs> the interview didn't go as well as I'd hoped. It was still interesting, he talked, but he was not into the idea of trying to tie what he was doing into what we were doing at all. He was just like, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. Uh, But something that might be interesting for you to do uh, at Tonebenders could also be like bringing together people from the different fields. Like, for example, I worked on a film like two years ago where I brought in Martin Stieg Andersen, who mm-hmm. who's like a really great Danish sound designer and composer for games. But he he's like incredibly talented and very, very musical. And I brought him in to do some different sound design elements for a film. And it was really interesting also just the conversations that we had. And I'm thinking like, maybe it would be interesting for a podcast like yours to like bring together some people with different backgrounds talking about like from their different perspectives about sound. Like that's also what I loved about Paul and Nia. They had different perspectives, but like they suddenly their conversation is just like ignited when they talk together. And I think you would probably experience a bit of the same if you brought together like a field recordist and a sound designer. And But somehow like, of course you need to find some subjects that bring them together. But I think just talking about sound would ignite that conversation. With the giveaway that we're doing right now, we've asked people to, in order to enter, to send us emails saying what their favorite episodes of the past 100 have been. And one of the trends that we're seeing is people really like the round tables where we get multiple people together to talk. And those are always the ones that when we're done recording them, I'm like hyped up about afterwards. I'm like, oh, that was awesome. But they're also the hardest ones to put together. Yeah. And they're also the hardest ones to package too, because everybody's talking over top of each other. And uh, so those are really rewarding, but they're also the hardest to pull together. So we will definitely be doing lots more of them, but it's a big ask to say to do that for every episode. It's also hard to just find people who have the time to get together to do it. But I'll say the other thing that, you know, as far as like bringing in other disciplines and, and having conversations, I, I have a, I have a real desire to bring in um, more picture editors and directors and talk more about the collaboration as it works on, on that angle. And in that kind of flow, honestly, something like that might, might work well in a roundtable format too. Uh, yeah, I think we've only had two directors on the show. I've always thought like, oh, who is the real target audience of our podcast? It's directors, <laughs> you know, and writers. I always, I'm always yes. like, oh, I wish we're all talking. To, I think feel like we're talking to each other about how important sound is. The person who really needs to have a realization about what sound can do is the the guy in charge who then can value that work and and prioritize it and bring those people in earlier and maybe pay them more money. You know, I wish <laughs> there was a way for us to direct our feed towards the generally more visually oriented people in the field, so the directors and producers and and all of those people. Yeah, and just having having the ability to talk about the way that the communication happens and to develop the common language um, with the with the visual side and with the director side, um, 
I think I think more of those conversations would be super valuable. And you know, if we if we manage to get a good one or two out there, I think I think it could get uh, pretty widely distributed amongst different different crowds in that in that world. That's a great idea. So if you're a picture editor or director and you want to come on Tone Benders, <laughs> you know where to call go. five five five. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, I one of one of my best friends right now is a picture editor, and he and I get to you know kind of sit and watch hockey games and talk about how we're handing stuff back and forth. And, you know, it's so rare for a picture editor to watch a sound person open up their project, open up their AAF and sort it into their template. Um, it just doesn't happen. And, and that kind of stuff should happen more. A lot like the roundtable that, that you organized, Tim, with the, about the, the Marvelous Miss Maisel, where you had the dialogue recordist and the dialogue editor and the, and the, and the mixer all together, all having this vertical conversation. Mixer, yeah. yeah. I'll have the vertical yeah, that episode hasn't come out yet. That'll be the next episode after this one, probably. But dang it, stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> yeah, and I find uh, the thing about the roundtables, there's a lot of uh, oh, that's what you do. Like there's a like a lot of very genuine like discovery happening in those conversations, and also in some of the roundtables, like that's when people disagree. Yes. Like I think the dialogue editors uh, roundtable, uh, people were like. Oh, you like that plugin? I think that plugin's shit or whatever, like things like that. And I'm like, I don't know. As a listener, for me, that gets my attention. And I, I've just recently started thinking about like, oh, how interesting conversations happen more when people are actually disagreeing about something than when they are on the same page. That's and totally wrong. I completely. Oh, you stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It can be difficult and it can be uncomfortable, but uh, I kind of love to hear like one expert say, I think of it this way and another expert say, I think of it differently. And they, not that they're duking it out, but as a listener, you are being forced to think about why one thing is better than the other. I think a lot of times when you're interviewing one person, it's uh, you want to make them feel good. You want to encourage them to talk more. And you are kind of like unconsciously sort of agreeing with everything they say and not challenging them. You know, if we can find ways to kind of bring that dialogue into it, um, I think people would find that really interesting. I think we'd all learn a lot. I think that we've kind of been able to make the podcast an environment mm -hmm. Where in those roundtables, people feel free to disagree, but in a respectful way. Yeah. I mean, doing movies is a roundtable conversation. I mean, that's something that I really love about making movies is that it's a constant kind of conversation where or debate where you work with other people and you hear each other's opinion. And then, I mean, some opinions you like and some you don't like and uh, you get inspired by some something one is saying and another one is saying something else and i mean that process of communication is very important and i so i mean to me it sounds like a great idea to have these kind of um roundtable talks the thing about conversation is that it's such an important part of our job i mean i i sometimes think that at film school they should be teaching communication so of course, they should teach sound and they should teach about all these different technical things and about like sound history and so on. But I mean, communication, it is almost like the very kind of basis and foundation for our work. Also, just listening to other people having conversations about sound. I would love that. I would love to hear 
how people talk about sound even more. Yeah, different people having different opinions. Um, this mix I work with often, uh, Lars Ginzel from Germany, he he usually calls the mix for the argument wars. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever has the best argument for keeping a sound in the track, he wins right. or she wins. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I, I kind of love that because it means that to be able to have things your way, you have to be able to somehow put it into words. Why is this important for the story? Why is this important for the character? Why is this important for the film? And sometimes that can be really hard to put into words. And the more that we learn to do that, the better at our job we become, I think. We're going to have an episode that's about how to write a, an email. <laughs> oh, no. There's going to be a story there. <laughs> how not to write an email, actually. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this, Peter. Um, it's one of the challenges that I've personally really dealt with in this podcast is the, the whole imposter syndrome, especially as Tim's kind of been booking you know, people that are uh, genuinely not my peers. Mark Mangini is not my peer, you know, and a lot of people like on that level, you know, they're, but I have to try and allow myself to have a, a conversation with them as though they were my peers yeah. because that's, what's valuable. Right. Um, and you know, Gary Bourgeois is not my peer. Um, you know, he is, you know, it, but, but I still have to be able to try and, and, and press and find out why they do certain things the way that they do so that, because, because those things are interesting to me, but I really, really do have to personally in those moments kind of find a way to get over that. And it's tough when those folks ask me like, all right, now who are you again? What is it that you do? And I kind of don't have great answers there. <laughs> like, why am I even speaking to you? You know? <laughs> and it's, you know, I try and not answer that question until the end of the interview, <laughs> but um, it's, it's tough, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's a thing that, you know, in this, in this, in this format and in this venue that, you know, the, the people that come on are very, um, open to having those kind of conversations. It's just still, uh, intimidating to, to open, open up into them in that way, you know? Yeah. I think the thing that's still true is that even the top audio people probably don't have a lot of experiences of being treated like they're the stars, you know, <laughs> sure. like they're stars to us, but um, in their working worlds, they are still the audio department and probably not given as much deference as uh, the cinematographer was or the, you know, whoever else might be in the lineup. But I feel like the sound people are just more uh, down to earth. No, that's, that's the way they've acted for sure. Richard King has three Oscars, I think. And I sent him an email out of nowhere. He just won his fourth, right? He's got four now? He's got four now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And I sent him an email out of nowhere, and he was like, yeah, let's do this. Like, I I don't know why he decided to give us his time, but he gave us his time. He was super generous. And uh, I think that he got as much out of the conversation as our listeners did, because he got to uh, spread some knowledge that he has and think about things in some new ways. And I'm really grateful that they do it. And I'm also grateful that we started this podcast because if I had sent Richard King an email and we didn't have this podcast, I would not have gotten a response. Yep. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We just get to sit and uh, just under the cover of this podcast, have, uh, have deep conversations about things that are interesting with us. But um, yeah, haven't we been touching on a lot of interesting subjects? I think it's quite okay. Uh, one thing I just want to say before we wrap up, actually, 
quickly is I want to thank the listeners. When we do this podcast, we don't make any money off it. We're doing it of our own time. It's a hobby, I guess, if you will, for me, at least that's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that we get from listeners is genuinely something that makes it kind of worth it. I, I just want to tell a quick experience that I had last fall. I went to Montreal for a conference and uh, there was an after party at Audio Connect. And a guy came up to me during the party and said, hey, you're Tim from Tonebenders, right? And I said, yeah. And he proceeded to break down Renee and I's relationship in a way that, <laughs> like, he told me what's great about Renee and Renee's strengths and weaknesses on the podcast. Same with me. And, like, I, he went off for, like, four or five minutes about how much he how much he's learned from the podcast and what he's got out of it in a way that I did not understand that people were doing. But it, it has struck a chord with people, and I want to thank everybody who sent us in emails and sent us in uh, their thoughts and stuff, and it, it really means a lot to us when you do that. And I'd also like to thank the people who send us in thoughts telling us how much we suck. That really, really gives us, uh, brings us back down to earth as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, you need those too. <laughs> they happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I got to, to sit down and, and read a lot of the emails that came in uh, after we released that 100 episode too. And it's uh, it's great to see what's what's going on and, and the effect that it's having on people out there. Again, I, I'm i personally, you know, in, in this for very selfish reasons in that I like to talk to these people and or, or otherwise <laughs> just kind of experiment and put it out there. Um, and so to, to see other people kind of writing along and, and really, you know, getting so much out of it, it's uh, it is it's a little bit mind blowing. It's It's pretty wild. Yeah, I, th I really look forward to the possibility of broadening out the scope of topics that we cover, the range of people that we talk to. We don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, so we'll, that's where we're going to put our efforts, hopefully, going forward to episode 200. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be part of that party. Come on, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start planning that party. Yeah. 2025. In space. Yeah. Let's do it in space. Yeah. Just, so, a, just a Dolby Atmos theater. That's going to be okay. Yeah. Speakers up in the up in satellites. <laughs> uh, how about we thank Peter? Hey, Peter, thanks for thanks for coming on and kind of having a conversation and kind of being being the voice of the listener uh, to us. That's, uh, that's, that's always fun to have that go down like that. So I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a real honor because Peter is someone that we've had on the show as a guest. And it's someone that I think the three of us really respect the work of and uh, the kind of attitude he has towards sharing sound and being a member of the sound community. So for you to take the time to talk to us and the time to listen to our podcast over the years is something that uh, we don't take lightly and we really appreciate. Absolutely. I, I want to bounce off of one thing you said a little bit earlier, Tim, in that we, we, we're, not, we're never going to have the widest audience. We're not built as a podcast for a super wide audience. But one of the things that I'm, I'm personally really, really proud of is the depth of our audience, the specific people that take the time to listen to what we do. Um, it's, uh, that's the thing that's particularly mind-blowing um, to this, is, is some of the people that when Tim contacts them, uh, you know, when Shannon Mills says, yeah, yeah, I listen to your podcast, and, and it's like, wow, okay. Shannon Mills is listening to the listening to the podcast. That's cool. I mean, I really think that you'd be surprised if I mean by how how we're all kind of on a on a level together. I mean, I just I was just in California for two weeks and just visiting uh, uh, lots of colleagues there, and I mean, 
we all listen to these different podcasts. We all follow Twitter. We all buy the same sound libraries. We share connections. And I mean, really like the, the, this whole idea of someone is above someone else is, has really changed. And it's, and we are all getting inspired. And, and I mean, for me, I really appreciate being part of this. And I feel that these podcasts and Twitter and all these different social media things. I mean, the way that we connect now is it for me, it feels kind of like a, a sound, a global sound family. And that's pretty freaking amazing. That's actually a pretty great note to go out on. I think there you go. Thank you so much. Keep it up. Hey, one more thing before we go. We are doing a giveaway. If you're listening to this episode before May 29th, 2019, you still have time to enter. We have really great prizes from Sound Radix, Isotope, and from Pro Sound Effects Library. So please go to tonebenderspodcast.com, go to the 100th episode write-up, and you will find the rules and regulations to enter. Basically, we would like you to send us an email to enter at tonebenderspodcast.com. The subject line of your email should be giveaway. And please, in that email, tell us something you love about the show. Tell us an idea you have for a future episode. Give us an idea of which episodes you've loved in the past. We're going to be picking the winners on May 29th, 2019. So go to tonebenderspodcast.com, read up on the rules, get your entries in, and good luck. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.